Hey there, Music Podcast for Kids listeners. This is Mr. Henry, and we want to thank you so much for listening to the show. We absolutely love educating the world all about music. And you know what's pretty cool? You can be a part of our mission as well. If you leave a review, more people can listen to the show. So you can help us with the journey of educating the world all about music. So if you could take a moment to leave a review of the show, we would greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much. Music begin in three, two, one. Learning music, having fun. That's what we're gonna do. Mr. Henry, Mr. Fight, exploring along with you. Learning music, having fun. That's what we're gonna do. Mr. Henry, Mr. Fight, love hanging out with you. The Music Podcast for Kids. Hello, and welcome to The Music Podcast for Kids. We're your hosts, Mr. Henry and Mr. Fight. Music educators extraordinaire. The Music Podcast for Kids is a fun and educational podcast where we learn and explore the best subject ever, music. And now the music joke of the day. We love jokes. So if you have a joke, please visit our website, themusicpodcastforkids.com to submit your joke. And guess what? It doesn't even have to be a music joke. It can be any joke. We will read and enjoy your joke on the podcast and also let everyone know who it came from and where you are in this great, big, wonderful music world. Our joke of the day is... This joke comes from Ethan, a listener of the show. Why does a golfer wear two pairs of pants? Huh? In case he gets a hole in one. (laughs) Damn. Good joke. This joke comes from Zenny, a listener of the show. Why did the chicken cross the playground? Huh? To get to the other slide. (laughs) Make sure to send in your jokes by visiting our website, themusicpodcastforkids.com. A link to the website can be found in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you are enjoying the show so far. Please subscribe to the podcast to receive the latest episodes and leave a review through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, get updates on what we are up to through Facebook and Instagram by finding us at Music Podcast for Kids. Links will be found in the show notes. On to the show! Just chat. Just chat, just chat, just chat, just chat, just chat, just chatting. Christopher Tin is a two-time Grammy-winning composer of concert and media music. His music has been performed and premiered in many of the world's most prestigious venues: Carnegie Hall, the Lincoln Center, and the Hollywood Bowl. Mr. Tin's music can be found in video games such as Civilization and films such as Lilo and Stitch 2 and X-Men United to name a few. 
He also has incredible classic crossover albums, which we learn more about in this interview. Be sure to visit ChristopherTin.com for more information. We have a very special guest with us today on the Music Podcast for Kids. Christopher Tin, thanks for being on the show. Glad to be here. So since we are a music podcast for kids, we always like to ask our special guests how they got started with music. So can you tell us how old you were when you started playing music or did you take private lessons? And then maybe your musical journey uh, where it took you through your growing up years. I started music when I was five. Uh, my parents enrolled me in piano lessons and, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of like what you did, right? Like right. put your kids into music school at that age. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I found that as I got older, my, my curiosity with other instruments um, sort of expanded. So I started playing trumpet maybe in third grade or something like that. I started playing guitar in high school and bass in high school. And I started singing in high school and writing music and all these other things in high school. Um, And, you know, it just kind of blossomed from there, right? So from an early age, I was exposed. Yeah, that's great. That's So you've um, received many awards, um, including two Grammy Awards, which is uh, amazing. Um, But I first would like to ask you about the Guinness Book of World Records (laughs) award that you received. Um, Could you tell us more about that? That was for winning the very first Grammy Award for a piece of music written for a video game. And that was my song, Baba Yetu, which was written for the video game Civilization IV. It became kind of a hit. And then um, when I re-released it as the opening track on my debut album, it won a Grammy, and the album also won a Grammy. So that's what my claim to fame is. Yeah, cool. Amazing. Um, So speaking of that, an album you wrote called Calling of Dawns uh, in 2011 that won the Grammy for the best classical crossover albums. Uh, First of all, can you educate us about what a crossover album is and then when you were creating the album, were you specifically trying to have your music crossover to another genre? Well, I was absolutely trying to make my music crossover to another genre. I mean, that is essentially what a crossover album is. It's a, it's a piece of music that brings together two different genres of music. And in this case, Calling All Dawns was an album that fused various world music traditions with sort of a a classical sensibility. So it was just a crossover between, you know, non-Western folk music and Mm -hmm. classical music, hence classical crossover. Yeah, cool. That's great. So alongside composing music, you're a conductor, artistic director. Um, I'd like to learn more about your conductor-director role in two different scenarios. So first, responsibilities for like a live concert, and what you would tackle within a recording session with studio musicians. Is, would you say those scenarios have like a big difference um, as to like what a conductor would do? Or is it kind of the same thing? Yeah, could you elaborate on, on that? Well, the real, only real similarities that they share is the mechanics of conducting, you know, your baton technique and where the orchestra is placed around you. But mm-hmm. beyond that, they're very, very different tasks. When mm-hmm. you're conducting for a concert, Uh, For one thing, your rehearsal time is very limited. Um, Everyone is watching you. You're giving feedback because you're, you know, you're the person in in charge of the sound that's coming at you. And then you you try to figure out the balance issues as best you can on the podium. Mm -hmm. But 
When you're in the recording studio, it's a completely different story because a lot of times everyone's wearing headphones, you know, they're trying to hear each other. Sometimes there's a click track, sometimes there isn't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to record um, the orchestra separate from the choir. In fact, usually you do. You record okay. the orchestra separate from the soloists and the choir and other oh, wow. special ensembles. And yeah. frankly, when you're in a recording studio with an orchestra around you, you can't really hear everything the same way the people in the control room can hear everything. So mm -hmm. a lot of times, your main task in that recording session is just to get an inspired performance out of the performers. But yeah. it's hard to really know whether that was a good take or not because, frankly, I can't hear everything because of the right. headphones and because of the way things are baffled off, like screened off, right? Yeah. So that's when you rely on your producer who's sitting in the control room mm -hmm. to help tell you whether that was a good take or not. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And does that feel different too? I, I imagine when you're not <clears throat> responding to the, uh, to having all, hearing all of the sounds, do you have to kind of uh, create a, almost a, a pseudo inspiration to, you know, to, to keep the, the emotions there through, throughout the pieces when you're in the, the studio? Or um, do you have enough information to go from as you're, as you're conducting to, to keep it real and, and uh with the feeling that you, you want to get from it? I think your, your thoughts are on very different things. I mean, when I'm in a recording studio, I know that whatever's being performed is being captured for all of posterity. And so my mind is, mm. is actually less on trying to inspire an emotional performance mm -hmm. and more on listening to what's coming back at me as best I can, right? right. You know? Yeah trying to, to decipher and trying to decide whether this is good or not. Um, whereas in performance, you know that whatever they play, <laughs> that's it. You know, it's, yeah, played, right. <laughs> it's done with your moving on. So you're actually sort of thinking ahead in the piece a little more in performance. You're thinking, yeah, right. okay, this section is coming up and I know that this is a tricky tempo change uh, and the harp yeah. really needs to stay with me. So I need to know to look at the harpist and, and, and you know, get a good performance out of them. So... In a way, in live performance, I'm a little less aware of what's actually going on. I'm, my mind is sort of thinking ahead and trying to steer the performance as best I can. Cool. That's great. So we're always really interested in the, the process a composer takes when getting started and working through, through their, their own process. Uh, we spoke with Eric Whitaker a while back, a choral composer. He was telling us that he draws sketches that eventually will be represented by the music he creates. So what kind of process do you have to get started as you're piecing your music together? I think I have the complete opposite process <laughs> as Eric. I got to say, I have never warmed to the draw a sketch of your, your piece and then sort of fill in the blanks later. Mm -hmm. I am more of a have a general sense where you're going to end, but start and then start writing from the beginning and move forward and try to end up there, right? I'm, yeah. I'm really more that, that person yeah. um, because that's how we experience music. We experience music from the start to the end, right? And so yeah. if I write the first 30 seconds of a piece of music, I want to be able to sit back and reflect on how those 30 seconds make me feel before I tackle the next 30 seconds and calibrate mm -hmm. those next 30 seconds accordingly, right? Yeah. So I'm very much a start from the beginning and move <laughs> forward sort of. Yeah, nice. yeah, that's cool. And so when you're doing that, are you typically at a piano and, and kind of coming up with an arrangement on the piano and then adding orchestration to it or, or just 
straight writing it down or how do you how do you tackle that? In recent years, I've started staying on the piano as long as I can and sketching things out. Yeah. Um, and then tackling the orchestration. Later yeah, cool. On. Yeah. I think that comes from a bit of a, a position of self-confidence and experience because I know that as I'm sketching things out on piano, I already have a sense of what the orchestration is. So I don't really mm-hmm. feel the need mm-hmm. to go down and notate it. I'm not going to forget what the orchestration is going to be. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I also like to stay unencumbered by minuscule decisions for as long as possible. And orchestration is one of these, these areas where you can get very bogged down in like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, where, how am I going to bow this? Where's the articulation go here? Is this the right notation for this? I would much rather kind of sketch a really sloppy piano sketch out from start <laughs> to finish yeah. and then go in and refine it. And in the yeah. process of refining, actually ideas get revisited and re- revised and, and, you know, you throw out some ideas that maybe you sketch down piano, maybe you expand certain sections, you know, it gives you a second, a, a way to have a second pass at your material. Mm-hmm. Um, having already had the benefit of sketched everything out, right. going back and saying, okay, well now that I'm filling in the blanks, now that I know how the whole thing's really going to be laid out, what can we do? You know, how mm-hmm. can we adjust knowing that we're going to do this later on? So that's sort of the way I like to work these days. Yeah, that's cool. So you've uh, written many pieces of music for video games. Um, First, is writing for video games something that you were always interested in? Like as a a kid growing up, like, I want to write for video games. I hear (laughs) kids saying that all the time. Um, Is that something that that you uh, were, were looking to do? No, not at all. Um, I mean, I, uh, <laughs> a, I think, I mean, I, you know, if you ask me as a kid what I want to do with my life, it's not write music for video games. It's probably to play video play games. Yeah, that's true, life, right? which you I can mean, do that now. That's really what <laughs> I wanted can. to do. Yeah. Um, you know, truth be told, um, the video game thing sort of stumbled across my, my desk randomly. Hmm. I went to my college reunion and I bumped into my old roommate who was now a celebrated video game designer. And then we connected and, and just talked about his next video game. And cool. that next video game turned out to be Civilization Four, which right. I wrote the song Baba Yetu for. Yeah, Baba right? Yetu, and that was the right. first piece of music I ever wrote for a video game, actually. Yeah. So it, it was never a lifelong dream of mine. I mean, yeah. I, I love it. I actually love writing for games and I love the industry. I think there's really great, really talented, um, smart people in the business. Yeah. But I like doing a lot of things musical. I mean, I like recording albums. I like, you know, scoring films. I like sure. um, conducting my music. I like recording music. I like I like teaching. I like a lot of different things. Yeah, it's that's never cool. been, you know, I want to be a video game designer. That's yeah. just one component of the whole. Of, of everything. Yeah, right. And so, and that the piece Baba Yetu recently celebrated its 15th year anniversary. Um, and this piece also won a Grammy in 2011, which, which is incredible. And to give some context to the audience, Baba Yetu was the theme song for a popular game released in 2005 called Civilization IV. You were just talking about that. Could you explain the characteristics of the piece and how it translated so well to that game Civilization IV? Well, the piece itself is a bit of a crossover piece, like we talked about before. Uh-huh. It's a fusion of African gospel vocals, orchestra, and big cinematic percussion, right? And these are actually three different areas of music that I have a lot of familiarity with. In college, I directed a, uh, 
uh, a cappella group that specialized in African and African-American music. Oh, and then I studied composition and orchestration, like, you know, the classical way, right? Mm-hmm. And then I also played uh, Japanese taiko in college. Was, you know, oh, the, the giant Japanese yeah. drums that oh, you see. Wow. Uh, that was, I played in an ensemble and I, I played, oh, cool. typically I played the largest drum. It's the odaiko, this big standing drum that you play sideways like this, right? Yeah. Um, so these were all things that I very much knew about already. And uh, <coughs> I was given the chance to sort of synthesize them all into one piece uh, for this video game. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. That's so really that's cool. kind of the sound of Baba Yetu. It's this fusion. And, mm-hmm. and why it works so well for Civilization, this particular video game, is Civilization is a game about sort of um, founding a civilization from the earliest days up until modernity, right? And sort of this this sort of world music but classical sweep of the piece just lent itself very well to this idea of fusing cultures across history. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow, that's neat. Um, so you recently released an oratorio about the history of flight uh, called uh, To Shiver the Sky. And uh, first, can you educate the audience a little bit about like an oratorio? So oratorio's large-scale work uses the orchestra and voices focusing on a particular theme, but no costumes and production acting, that kind of stuff. Um, can you tell us more about, uh, more about the, uh, uh, shiver to the to Shiver the Sky? Well, yes, like you mentioned, it's an oratorio. I call it an oratorio. Oratorios typically deal with sacred subjects, but mm-hmm. I like to mm-hmm. bend definitions a little bit. I mean, <laughs> yeah. so Handel's Messiah, for example, is the right. most well-known oratorio, sure. probably. Yep. It is with soloists and choirs, different vocal groups, um, and it tells the story of aviation from the earliest days, from Leonardo da Vinci sketching in his notebooks about a flying machine, all the way up through Jules Verne writing fantastical stories about exploring space, to Amelia Earhart and her solo flight across the Atlantic, to Yuri Gagarin being the first man launched into outer space, and finally to John F. Kennedy in 1962 saying, we choose to go to the moon. Before the end of the decade, we're going to put a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth. And in my mind, that is one of the greatest achievements of of mankind right there. The fact that we were able to pull together and say, you know what, we're going to do this crazy thing. We're going to (laughs) put a man on the moon uh, within eight years. And by the way, we have no idea how we're going to do this. (laughs) The technology, the science has not been invented yet. We don't know anything about this, but we're going to do it. (laughs) And this was just an amazing sort of example of, of leadership and, and vision, right? This idea that we're going to do something impossible and the entire nation pulled together behind this visionary president and we made it happen. And yeah. it was an amazing story. And yeah. I think it's an amazing story to reflect on, especially in this, this world that we live in now where we sort of lost a bit of our confidence uh, as a people to do the big, difficult amazing things, right? It's a nice reminder that, you know, we are still those people that can really do the great things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the piece is just great. I was, I've been listening to it and uh, just such a cool idea. I just, I I love the idea and I love how people can be educated and learn about all these different, you know, all these different uh, examples of the progression of flight to, of course, getting to the moon. So, just think it's just fabulous. So, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. 
So many of our listeners are kids. Uh, what advice or bit of wisdom would you share with our listeners as they explore music around them? My advice to young musicians is to um, stay curious about music and to foster that curiosity and, and you know, explore the world of music around you. Because as we all know, there are so many different types of music, genres of music, instruments that you can play, pieces that you can write, formats that you can write in. You can be a recording artist. You can write musical theater. You can score films. You can score video games. You can, you know, uh, do anything, right? It's an amazing playground in a world to, to live in. And the way you stay happy living in that world is to always foster this lifelong excitement about discovering and, and doing new things in music. So I would say just just soak it all up, you know, like practice being a, a hungry musician and, and devouring all the music around you, you know, like cultivate this curiosity, I think, and that'll keep you engaged and excited about music for the rest of your life. That's awesome. That's great. Well, Christopher Tin, we want to thank you again for your great music and for taking time out to chat with us on the Music Podcast for Kids, and we wish you all the best as you continue inspiring, entertaining, and educating the music world. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Time to wrap it up, folks. Thank you so much for tuning into the Music Podcast for Kids. We hope you enjoyed the show, and most importantly, learned something cool today about music. Remember to send in your jokes or even a topic in music you would like us to discuss by visiting our website, themusicpodcastforkids.com If you are interested in awesome educational and fun songs for your kids to listen and sing along with, please visit brucefight.com Music is available to download with iTunes, CD Baby, and Facebook. And most streaming platforms like Spotify and Amazon Radio. Links will be found in the show notes. If you are interested in learning how to play the piano with a fun and engaging curriculum geared toward kids, please subscribe to Mr. Henry's YouTube channel called Mr. Henry's Music World. Links will be found in the show notes. Please visit iTunes to leave a review of the podcast and also share the podcast with friends, relatives, aliens, whoever. Again, we thank you so much for tuning in.